Tony Curtis survives the streets of New York, joins the Navy, inspires Elvis, has amazing hair, loves beautiful women, and can paint. It's my introduction to our July Star of the Month, Tony Curtis. I'm Shannon. Thank you for listening to the Vanguard of Hollywood podcast. I'll be completely honest. I've never been a huge Tony Curtis fan. Much of that feeling stems from the fact that as a nine-year-old Marilyn Monroe mega fan, I was well aware of Tony's now infamous remarks made about Some Like It Hot that compared kissing Marilyn to kissing Hitler. Over the years, I was never intrigued enough by Tony or his performances to seek out his side of the story on this comment, and I've always just rallied to Marilyn's defense. As it turns out, Tony didn't really mean that line and truthfully found kissing Marilyn to be an out-of-this-world experience, as most of us would expect. But when I reviewed Some Like It Hot earlier this year, the Tony Curtis bug finally bit me. While reading his 1993 autobiography, I became utterly intrigued by the intelligence and humor Tony brought to each page of his story. This was a guy whose ambition, looks, talent, and work ethic took him from the impoverished streets of New York to become one of classic Hollywood's biggest stars. If that's not admirable and intriguing, I don't know what is. I found myself wanting to learn more about this star who I'd all but ignored throughout my near-lifelong obsession with classic Hollywood. So I was thrilled to discover that Turner Classic Movies selected Tony to be our July Star of the Month. Tony's a bit of an enigma. Rough around the edges despite his polished look, a man who thrived on the attention of beautiful women and couldn't choose just one to love, but had a hard time accepting similar behavior from his wives. Here are a few things about Tony Curtis you didn't know. The first is, he had a rough childhood. Tony Curtis was born Bernard Schwartz on June 3, 1925, in Manhattan. Young Bernie and his brother Julius were first-generation Americans. His parents, Emmanuel and Helen, were Jewish-Hungarian immigrants to the USA. His parents, Emmanuel and Helen, were Jewish-Hungarian immigrants to the U.S., The earnings Emmanuel made from his work as a tailor were barely enough for the Schwartz family to get by. Tony would later recount in his 2008 autobiography that, quote, At one point, we lived in the back of my father's tailor shop in a building that had been condemned by the city, unquote. Hungarian was the language spoken at home, and Bernie wouldn't learn English until he began elementary school. It was a rough childhood. Bernie was teased at school by anti-Semitic classmates, yet he couldn't find solace at home where his mother, who would later be diagnosed as a schizophrenic, abused him. Tony would later say that, quote, The only person I can honestly say I liked was my brother Julius, who was four years younger than I was. When I was six or seven, my parents let me know that I was responsible for Julie, and I took that very seriously. I knew I was his surrogate father, unquote. 
The bonds between 10-year-old Bernie and 6-year-old Julie would grow even stronger when, at the height of the Great Depression, Helen and Emmanuel dropped their two boys off at Sycamore House, a government-sponsored orphanage. Bernie and Julie would spend a month at the orphanage, not knowing when or if their parents would come back for them. Tony would remember that, quote, I had no idea where they were going or why, and it frightened me to death, unquote. If you thought going to an orphanage wasn't hard enough, Bernie experienced even greater tragedy when, just a few years later, his beloved little brother was hit by a truck and killed. 13-year-old Bernie, not his parents, was called upon to identify the body. Though no way involved in the accident, Tony Curtis would feel responsible for his brother's death the rest of his life. In Tony's mind, he was Julie's protector and should have been there to save his brother. Experiences such as this molded young Bernie into a tough, street-smart kid. Tony Curtis, movie star, would look back and put just about as positive a spin as possible on the tragic events of his childhood. Quote, Over time, I learned to cope, mostly by realizing that I couldn't count on anyone else, which later on would have the unexpected benefit of making me resourceful and independent. Unquote. It was a sad realization, but Bernie was a survivor who would find solace and escape from his loneliness and bouts with depression through the movies and art. Another Tony Curtis fact for you is that he was in the Navy. At age 16, Bernie Schwartz needed an escape. Quote, I so desperately wanted to get away. I knew if I hung around much longer, I'd never escape. So I decided to join the Navy and see the world. Unquote. 16-year-old Bernie was too young to join the Navy without parental consent, so he forged his mother's signature on a permission form and officially joined the Navy. For the first time in his life, young Bernie felt like a person of value. He excelled in signalman school and learned Morse code before deciding to pursue submarine training, where he was promoted from seaman first class to signalman third class. Young Bernie Schwartz would spend three years in the Navy before being honorably discharged in 1945, shortly after witnessing General Douglas MacArthur sign the peace treaty with Japan. Tony Curtis would view his time in the Navy with fondness and say, quote, I enjoyed the Navy because our country looked after us. I don't know how else to put it. The Navy was my surrogate family. I have to say that I totally enjoyed the Navy experience. Tony would remain a lifelong supporter of the Navy and would sponsor the U.S. Navy Memorial in Washington, D.C. in his later years. My next Tony Curtis fact for you is that he always wanted to be in the movies. Tony would begin his 2008 autobiography by stating that, quote, All my life, I had one dream, and that was to be in the movies. Maybe it was because I'd had a pretty rough childhood, or perhaps it was because I was always more than a little insecure, but as a kid, I longed to see myself 10 feet tall on the big screen, unquote. It was this dream that got Bernie Schwartz through his difficult childhood and gave him direction and purpose after his Navy service. Young Bernie would study acting at the New School under the GI Bill before getting his big break in 1948, when a Universal Studios executive saw him perform in an off-Broadway production of Golden Boy. His raw performance and good luck struck the executive, and Bernie was brought out to California for a screen test, changing his name to Tony Curtis and signing a standard seven-year contract with the studio. 
A particularly fun Tony Curtis fact is that the Roomba made him famous. Tony would share in his later years that, quote, Going to Hollywood had been my life's plan since I could remember, and I was too naive to know it almost never works out that way, unquote. But for Tony Curtis, it would work out, thanks to a two-minute rumba dance sequence in the 1949 film noir, Crisscross. Quite literally, all Tony did in the film was dance the Roomba with Yvonne DiCarlo for two minutes. But Tony's gyrating dance moves stole the show and proved his ticket to bigger roles at Universal. Quote, I was supposed to do the Roomba, whatever that was. I just shook my body like crazy and everyone loved it. I was gonna dance, darn it, girl or no girl. So I kept on going. They liked that too. I'd been on screen exactly two minutes, but they turned out to be the most important two minutes of my life. Unquote. The other thing about that two-minute Roomba sequence that brought Tony to the attention of moviegoers was his hair. In the age of crew cuts, here was this attractive kid with a full head of hair, slicked back on the sides and worn long and curly on top. Tony viewed his hair as, quote, a weapon in my arsenal that no one else had. Unquote. In fact, between 1949 and 1951, Tony Curtis's hair was more famous than Tony Curtis. Young men around the country began styling their hair just like Tony, including one youth by the name of Elvis Presley. Tony would look back on this time of his career and say that, quote, You can't imagine the publicity my hair generated. The studio didn't have enough money to pay for that kind of publicity. My hair took on a life of its own. I felt like introducing myself to people as the guy with Tony Curtis's hair." Unquote. Now the crazy thing is, Tony's hair would still be considered extremely stylish and desirable today. Fashion truly comes full circle, and Tony Curtis definitely started a recurrent trend with his perfect hair. Another Tony Curtis fact for you is that he knew he was attractive, and he liked to look good. As a boy, Bernie Schwartz noticed that his appearance earned him special attention, and sometimes that wasn't so good. Tony would speculate as an adult that perhaps the reason why his mother beat him while he was growing up was because she couldn't understand why her son didn't look anything like her. It wasn't until a kind doctor, who treated teenage Bernie for an injury, told him to use his appearance to make something of himself, that Bernie realized he could use his looks to his advantage. Quote, It was the first time anyone had told me that I was good-looking, or that I should make something of my life. Both thoughts stayed with me. I think I've always been vain, but this is when I first fully became aware of it. I loved the way people looked at me. Underneath all that hair was a good-looking face. I've always been a little ashamed of acknowledging that I was handsome, but the truth is, I took real pleasure in looking good." Unquote. And with a father who was an expert tailor, Tony Curtis's desire to look good didn't stop at his face and hair. Tony would always have an admiration for sharp dressers like Cary Grant. After years of poverty and being teased by his classmates for wearing hand-me-downs, Tony Curtis would revel in the fine clothes and fashions he was finally able to afford as a Hollywood star. 
Tony would even attribute the importance he placed on fine clothes and his appearance after stardom to those early years of poverty and teasing. Quote, It's funny how life works sometimes. Just because this one kid baited me about my clothing, I'd become very meticulous about how I dressed and take great pleasure in looking good. Unquote. Another interesting Tony Curtis fact is that he loved the attention of beautiful women and was married six times. Tony freely admitted to the fact that he thrived on the attention of beautiful women all his life. And while Tony's philandering is less than admirable, there's something refreshing in his honesty about his appreciation for the beautiful women he was lucky enough to be surrounded by during his years as a Hollywood star. Quote, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this because I don't want people to think badly of me, but it's part of my makeup and I can't pretend otherwise. Some people need alcohol, some people need drugs. I need the attention of beautiful women." Unquote. Tony would marry six beautiful women over his 85 years. Here's a quick rundown on the six Mrs. Tony Curtises. Wife number one, Janet Lee. Popular actress Janet Lee was already an established star by the time she met Tony Curtis. Janet's big break came when the 18-year-old's photo was spotted by superstar Norma Shearer in the ski resort photo album. Shearer was so impressed that she took the photo back to MGM, and the rest, as they say, is history. Tony and Janet became one of Hollywood's golden couples when they married, against the wishes of their respective studios, in 1951. The marriage ended up being beneficial to both their careers, however, and moviegoers couldn't get enough of this gorgeous couple. As Tony himself would say, quote, When Janet and I hit, we became the undisputed darlings of the Hollywood media. Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor? Forget it. Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher? Not a chance. Unquote. Tony and Janet would have two daughters together, Kelly and Jamie Lee, who you've no doubt heard of. The dream marriage was not such a dream in its final years, though, and Tony would leave the marriage after a passionate affair with Christine Kaufman. And that brings us to wife number two, Christine Kaufman. Kaufman was Tony's 17-year-old co-star in the epic Taurus Bulba. The two began a passionate affair during filming and married a month after Christine's 18th birthday in February of 1963. The Hollywood press was not kind to Tony about the 20-year age difference between him and his teenage bride. Accurately or not, Tony was painted as a careless man who deserted Janet and his daughters for Christine. Two more daughters, Alexandra and Allegra, came from the second marriage, which ultimately dissolved when Christine was seen hitting the Hollywood nightclub scene with Dean Martin's son, Rick. Even though Tony had his own, more discreet infidelities during the marriage, he couldn't take the flagrantly public affairs of his wife, and the two divorced in 1968. And that brings us to wife number three, Leslie Penny Allen. Leslie Allen was a New York model 18 years Tony's junior. Penny, as Tony calls Leslie in his 2008 autobiography, would enjoy being the wife of a Hollywood star, and the two had sons Nicholas and Benjamin together during the marriage, which would end in 1982. According to Tony, the marriage didn't work out in the end because Penny was too young and he was too, quote-unquote, messed up. The fact that they were both unfaithful to each other surely didn't help matters. Wife number four, Andrea Savio, well, I actually have no idea about wife number four. 
Not only does Tony not share a thing about this marriage in his autobiographies, he doesn't even name her in either book. Perhaps Tony's silence on this marriage is deafening. Tony next married attorney Lisa Deutsch in 1993. There was a 34-year age difference this time. It was a short union that was rife with communication problems, and the two would divorce in 1994. And that brings us to wife number six, Jill Vandenberg. If you ask Tony's children, Jill Vandenberg is a controversial figure responsible for all six of Tony's kids being disinherited not long before their father's death in 2010. But from the way Tony tells it in his 2008 autobiography, Jill was the love of his life, the one woman he loved completely and seems to have remained faithful to. Age difference this time? 45 years. Jill and Tony would find happiness in Henderson, Nevada, where they founded a horse sanctuary, Shiloh Rescue Ranch. Jill still runs the ranch today. The two would remain married until Tony's death in 2010. And that, in a nutshell, covers the six Mrs. Tony Curtises. My next Tony Curtis fact is that he overcame a cocaine addiction. In 1974, while filming Lepke, Tony Curtis had his first experience with cocaine. At the time, Tony, like many dabbling with the drug, had no idea just how addicting cocaine was. Tony viewed it as a miracle substance that gave him the energy to keep filming and working all hours of the day and night with boundless energy. But sadly, Tony did become addicted to cocaine in the years that followed. The drug was how Tony coped with the fact that he just wasn't getting the film opportunities and roles he desired anymore. In just a few short years, and for reasons that remain quite inexplicable, Tony Curtis went from A-list celebrity to barely able to find work in the industry he devoted his life to. Quote, When I first hit Hollywood, I had really made a splash. Now the phone was silent. It was as if I died, only someone forgot to tell me about it. It was during this time that I began dabbling with what had become a very fashionable drug in Hollywood and other major cities around the country cocaine. When the cocaine craze hit, no one knew how addictive it could be." Unquote. But Tony devoted the same energy and drive to kicking the cocaine habit as he had to becoming a star, and a 1985 intervention, coupled with his time at the Betty Ford Center, proved successful. A really unique Tony Curtis fact is that he's a Hungarian knight. Yep, Tony was knighted by the Hungarian government in gratitude for his great contributions to the country of his heritage. In 1990, Tony was instrumental in financing the rebuilding of Budapest Great Synagogue, the largest synagogue in Europe, which was severely damaged during World War II. Tony would also found the Emanuel Foundation for Hungarian Culture, named after his father, which works to restore and preserve the synagogues and Jewish cemeteries of Hungary. And my last Tony Curtis fact is that he was an artist. As a young boy aspiring to be in the movies, Bernie Schwartz discovered that he had an artistic talent. Quote, To pass the hours I spent alone each day, I started to draw. My first drawings were made on the brown paper my father used to wrap his customers' clothes in. I draw on them using my father's tailor's chalk or pencils or crayons. I found myself able to accurately copy things I saw, and then I found I could add things, and all of a sudden, my artwork wasn't just copying anymore. It was something else again. I liked drawing what I was thinking or seeing. It became a driving force in my life." Unquote. 
Tony's passion for art continued throughout his Hollywood years, and when his film career was mostly finished, Tony would dedicate himself to becoming a legitimate artist with great success. In April 2008, Tony had successful art shows to sold-out houses in London and Paris, and some of his work is included in the permanent collection of New York City's Museum of Modern Art. Daughter Jamie Lee Curtis describes her father's work as, quote, a little Matisse, a little Picasso, and in color choices and brushstroke, a little Van Gogh, unquote. Jamie Lee is convinced that history will remember her father not as an actor, but as an artist. Quote, the problem being a celebrity artist or celebrity anything is that it's immediately assumed you can't do it. But unlike my dad, most non-celebrity artists haven't been drawing since they were 10 and haven't painted 2,000 canvases and didn't collect Baltus's three women bathing at the age of 25. I honestly feel that in 50 or 100 years, he's going to be known as a great painter, unquote. A sweet compliment from his daughter, and Jamie Lee just may be right. There's no doubt that Tony was a talented painter. And that wraps up my introduction to our July star of the month, Tony Curtis. For delicious recipes and all things classic Hollywood, visit my website, macaronsandmimi.com. And don't forget to check the Turner Classic Movie schedule for all the Tony Curtis films playing this month. And be sure to join me next week on Vanguard of Hollywood as I review one of Tony's best dramatic roles in 1957's Sweet Smell of Success. <laughs>